Hello everyone and welcome to the Phineas Club. This is episode 73 for June 2016 where we talk about Brexit, Brexit, Brexit and uh, well, pretty much the Brexit. Hello everyone and welcome to the Phileas Club. This is a show where we get together every month or so and we discuss what's been happening in the past, uh, well, in the past month in the world. And we get people from different countries, different origins, different cultures. So you can see, hopefully you can have different views on the things that have happened. Maybe some of them would be a little bit challenging to what you, you think or what you've heard or what you've read and watched in the media. Um, I think in this case, it's going to be a heated conversation, but uh, I'm not sure it's going to be anything entirely new, but uh, we'll see because we're recording a few days after England, or the UK I should say, has voted to get out of uh, of uh, the EU. This is the Brexit that has happened, with shocking basically everyone in the world. I'm Patrick Beja, I'm French, I'm currently in Finland, and I have with me my pal from old times and from always, uh, Turkey, who's here from Saudi Arabia. How's it going? I'm good, Patrick, I'm good. I guess I'm waiting for your rants about Brexit. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to how many different ways you can make fun of us during this episode. So we'll we'll see. What uh, I'm sure it's not going to be any difficult. Job. <laughs> I'm sure, it's a very easy. Yeah, this time you won't have to reach very far into the depth of your <laughs> humor. So um, we also have uh, Matthias, who's here from Germany. Uh, how's it going, Matthias? Hey, Patrick. I'm good. How are you? I'm really well. Uh, thank you for being here. And, uh, you know, we're going to be representing the very strong uh, couple, French-German uh, French couple. I, I, I've heard that in France, we consider, we consider the core of the EU, France and Germany. And I've heard that in Germany, they really don't think about it like that. They just think about Germany and they don't really hear that term, French-German uh, couple. Wait, there's and, something uh, else than Germany in the EU? <laughs> Basically, yeah, that, exactly that. Uh, we will represent continental Europe over here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and finally, uh, obviously, we're going to be talking about uh, the UK. And I'm incredibly happy to welcome back to the show someone that hasn't been here for a very long time and whom I haven't spoken to in a long time. She's a very good friend of mine. Uh, Gita is here with us. How's it going, Gita? Uh, it's going well. Thank you, Patrick. Nice to be here. It's so nice to have you on the show. You were here, you were on the show a couple of times, many years ago, and uh, we sort of, we're, we've lost touch. Life is happening, uh, but I figured you're, you're a clever person. You're going to be able to explain to us how the UK has come to this, you know, strange decision. Um, so I'm very glad that you're here and it gives me a chance to talk to you. Um, before we launch into the topic, I'm not sure we're going to have you know, time or even we don't want to talk about anything else. Um, but before we launch into it, even, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, where, where you're from? Yeah. Okay. So I'm originally from India, but I grew up in the US and uh, I moved to the UK about 20 years ago. And uh, I'm currently speaking to you from Germany. <laughs> so definitely, as I was saying before the show, it's a uh, Pretty international, uh, international uh, 
episode of the, of the Phileas Club. It always is, but this time it's kind of all garbled together. Um, so, all right, let's not let's stop beating around the bush. You, the UK voted to get out of the uh, EU. We're going to talk about this uh, for a little bit, but before we talk about our reactions, Gita. You've been in the UK. You've followed this, I'm sure, with uh, frustration and uh, and bated breath. Can you tell us, can you do a little bit of a recount of the road that led to the decision that happened uh, last week? Okay, so I suppose the origins, in my view and my reading of the situation, is the Conservative Party that was in power with the, you know, the Prime Minister David Cameron um, has long had a splinter within the party of Eurosceptics and people who feel that we should be part of the EU, um, and uh, the. The current government was starting to lose popularity, in particular the prime minister, and he decided that um, as the Labour Party, which is the opposition party, was beginning to gather a lot of steam, a lot of new members, a lot of very committed Labour uh, Party members with a new leader, Jeremy Corbyn, who's a man of high principles as the party sees him. Um, well, not anymore, but we'll get to that uh, later on in the okay. show. <laughs> but uh, the, there's a, also a splinter between um, the Labour Party politicos, um, the people who are, um, you know, in the House of Commons and in the House of Lords as representatives of the Labour Party, and the bread and butter members who really, really support Jeremy Corbyn, and then there's a lot of infighting. But before this, let's go back to the Conservative Party, they could see that a lot of bread and butter members were um, all of a sudden joining the Labour Party once Jeremy Corbyn became leader, and actually even before he became leader to put him into power, and realized that this large and strong movement, um, which even doubled the membership of the Labour Party, needed to be answered. So um, David Cameron decided to take a gamble which was to, once and for all, fix the division in his party by calling a referendum nationally. Oh, so you mean the idea initially was, let's decide, uh, let's show the, the splinter. It, it was a way to weaken the Eurosceptics, is what you're saying. If you, if, kind but, of. It was a way of saying, well, we can unite on this now because we've let the country decide and now we have to unite against whatever decision it is. But he assumed the decision would be remain. But right. it was, yeah, to quiet the Eurosceptics in his own party and then maybe get more party unity because the people have spoken and which representatives ever going to work against what the people have spoken about, you know, and decided. So that was the general idea. So that was a while ago. I don't even know how long. Was it a year ago, something like that? I mean, I, th I think it was about a year ago. Probably was in the simmering before that. So, I mean, I think nobody really knows the <laughs> time frame. I'm sure we can, you know, if we did some research, right, right. we can figure it out. But the but main point is... Ago. The main point is there were no civil society groups asking for a referendum. In fact, nobody was asking for a referendum on this. Right. The so, and I think, I think at this stage, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think at this stage, and maybe even until a, a few days ago, no one really believed that the Leave would would uh, would get it. The Leave would win. So. It seems to me that Cameron was doing this kind of, as you said, it was a gamble, but 
everyone was expecting the Remain to, to win, right? All the way through very recently. Well, let's put it this way. The only people who I think fervently wanted leave to happen was the far right under the party called UKIP, which is headed by Nigel Farage and uh, is very, very, very controversial. Right. How So to paint a, a, a picture, how far right are they? Are they, uh, you know... Uh, I, we've seen a lot of far-right movements in Europe and, and elsewhere uh, rise up, and there are degrees of, of you know, <laughs> uh, acceptability in polite society. Some of them are completely outrageous and make uh, uh, claims that would make anyone decent blush, and some of them are maybe a little bit more, try to control their messaging a little bit more. Could you pin them on, on that map? Yeah, well, I think before they weren't so outrageous. People didn't like him. Um, they always thought of him as a, a kind of a nationalist, but not, you know, so extreme. But this calling of the referendum and this national debate, which wasn't much of a debate because there wasn't much information given, but it provided um, him and his party, which had not very much support previously, to have a sort of space to start to um, spread a very divisive message and a very uh, racist message and, uh, and anti-immigration message based on, uh, you know, the idea that we're in a long recession and the government's letting us down and the EU's a part of this and uh, things like that. Um, and it came to a culmination when there seemed to be quite a lot of polls saying leave has almost as many votes as remain. We don't know which way it's going to go with um, him having a poster with Syrians forming a kind of a a river of people coming down behind him on a sign that said breaking point. And uh, it was later shown that it was uh, kind of modeled on some Nazi propaganda from the 1930s. Wow. Okay. Uh, so how did the campaign go? Was it, I mean, from here, again, looking at it from France, uh, it seems, and I'm sure from other countries, it seems like the campaign was sloppy at best and definitely a lot of misinformation or inaccurate information at least was uh was being it became what people based uh, their votes on and some of it was a, f a feeling of frustration for sure i'll get to uh turkey and matthias also in a second because i want to get uh, hear from their them too but How did the campaign go? How would you, on both sides, right? How did they uh, uh, get through, get all their messaging through? What, what are your feelings on, on that? Okay, so there were like a few different types of campaigns, okay? So firstly, we had um, the Conservative Party, which was saying, uh, which was splintered between uh, the group led by Boris Johnson and Michael Gove, um, which uh, was saying, oh, well, actually, they were spreading a lot of lies about how much money they're going to give the uh, National Health Service, about, um, you know, how this wasn't going to affect the economy and we were going to have more power and all sorts of different things like this. We had the prime minister himself first calling for this referendum and then kind of saying, oh, no, but uh, if we left, it would be a bad thing. We should remain. 
And then we had the um, Labour Party uh, saying, look, it's, uh, uh, we know the EU is not perfect, but uh, if we leave, it's w worse off. You know, we're all worse off. And then we had a lot of international players plus domestic players, mainly economists, saying this is, would be the worst disaster and laying out all the reasons why this would be a big disaster. And then we had Nigel Farage and the UKIP party saying, um, you know, those groups that are saying it would be a bad thing to leave the EU are working on something they, they coined as Project Fear. They're trying to force you to stay in the EU against your will because they're trying to spread fear. And these aren't real fears. These are, these are fake fears. And then um, uh, Boris Johnson and Michael Gove started spreading lies. And then um, pretty soon it was hard to tell who was telling the truth and who was telling lies. And that's where it, it started to get very sloppy because we had the UKIP saying, um, oh, uh, you know, you, you're going to have a better standard of living and the economy is going to be growing if we leave Europe because all that money that's wasted. So it was a very confusing thing for people who aren't actual economists or don't really keep up with news or aren't pretty well educated to figure out what's going on. It does definitely seem like at, at the end, the the... I, I'm, I want to talk about fear and lies a lot more. I, I took a few notes here, and I'm going to talk about fear and lies a lot more uh, later in the show. But it does feel like people were getting to a point where they just threw the table in the air and, you know, said, F all that, I'm just going to vote angry. It's, it was anger speaking, uh, it sounds. Yeah, a little bit of it is in British politics generally, when you don't like the prime minister, you vote against him in whatever he's – so if it's a general election, even if you're not a Labour supporter, if it was a conservative, you would vote Labour just to show your, you know, your, your disdain for the prime minister. And I think a lot of people didn't sort of – they've gotten used to this, especially people who don't understand what voting means or what the EU – really meant and and that this was a permanent decision that we can't just turn around and say ha ha I was kidding and uh, <laughs> they voted to show that they disapprove of David Cameron but they actually disapproved of the EU instead so mm. um all right let's turn to turkey for a second um how would you say uh well I'm sorry, again, I'm going to say the Arab world, um, but maybe <laughs> Saudi Arabia. But, you know, what you're reading, what you're hearing from around you, what are they saying about all of this? How are they uh, thinking of it? Uh, let's see. Uh, hallelujah. The pound is down. Let's go and have some vacation in London. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a good way of looking at it, for sure. Uh Yeah, for us, it's, it doesn't really matter that much. It, I think it's mostly the economical impact. And uh, for the majority of the population, the economical impact is for them is a positive impact at the moment with the pound going down and so on, whether they want to travel, whether they want to shop or whatever. So it doesn't really affect us. It's kind of more of a shock factor that the UK actually decided to leave. And it's kind of resonated to the point that, for example, we have here in Saudi Arabia, we have the Gulf Cooperation Council. And uh, that is, is kind of like the EU for the Gulf countries, which is Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Bahrain, Qatar, United Arab Emirates and Oman. 
and that's where they're talking. Could that happen to uh, the GCC? Uh, I think that's basically it. Other than that, it's really hasn't been uh, as huge a, a topic other than people calling the Brits, most most people at least, calling the Brits idiots. Okay. Can you yeah. expand on that for a second? Why do they think... Uh, and without, you know, I'm not even trying... Because I know maybe some people are going to listen and say... You're making fun of the people who voted leave. There are some legitimate reasons to vote leave. and Well, it's, it's not as much as us talk calling the people who voted leave idiots or something like that. It's more of the entire voting structure. Or So basically, we're blaming the, the government because, and I do agree with this concept, which is this is the most stupid thing I've ever seen, where you have such a decisive vote and you can easily have a majority of 51% and that's done. A vote like this should have been at least required a majority of two thirds as it will affect the entire country to be that's, valid. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I so, think that's something- Although it's not mandatory. So no, it isn't. Well, no, I mean, now mandatory. at this point- It's kind of ironic, I know, but still- No, but I, they could have- They can't put, really go back on this. That when, when they announced the vote, the government should, could have put that condition that this vote is not mandatory unless, and they had that right, and they could have done that. And well, that's ridiculous. Could, and they yeah. could at least have, at least say, at least 80% of people who are qualified for vote have to vote. This is affecting an entire country. It's affecting the entire nation. You saw the reaction from the North Ireland. You saw the reaction of the Scots. And you saw the reaction, uh, reaction of London. So you're really affecting everybody and you pissed up so many people. And the I, fact that yeah. only 1% can actually decide whether they stay or leave is just ridiculous. I think I there's, there, there's been a lot of uh, people basically waking up the next day thinking, why the hell did we do it like this? How could we let... And I think the root of it came from the fact that no one thought it was going to be a, a leave. Right. And and people were saying, yes, you would need two thirds, you would need a vote and then, you know, a confirmation a year later. But obviously, since they did it like that, it, it's it's now it's kind of done. But I'll go back to you, Gita, in a second. Um, Matthias, how is Germany looking at it? Well, the media, of course, are shocked and uh, no one really believed that actually that vote would turn out like this, even though it was a close vote and was predicted to be a close one. But well, it depends who you're talking to, really. Well, the uh, so I would say the intellectuals or people who care about the EU are, of course, shocked and uh, are thinking about the ramifications of what the uh, Brexit might mean, not only for the UK, but also for Germany and the rest of the EU. But the average Joe on the street, if you ask him, he doesn't really care, to be honest, because it doesn't affect Germany in the short term anyway. It'll take a while before they leave. And, well... I've heard some people uh, actually saying that they're kind of glad that this turned out the way it did because uh, the UK was always bitching about the EU all the time, even though they're <laughs> getting all these subs uh, the exemptions and all the discounts. So if they want to leave, just leave. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Just go. Yeah, so, there's a lot of that sentiment, uh, I think, throughout Europe, but certainly in France. It's disbelief at first and then 
fine if you want to leave. And, and some people are saying, oh, you should be spiteful and, and make it difficult for them. But of course, there's a good reason to make it difficult, which is you don't want anyone else to do this. So you don't want to be lenient in any way. You want to make an example of, uh, of the UK. And on the other hand, there's an emotional response, of course, which is, you know, you have someone who is uh, part of your group of friends and all of a sudden one of them gets up and slaps you in the face and says, you know, F you, uh, you suck, I'm leaving. You're like, all right, then just go, go. It's fine, whatever. I don't, I didn't even like you from the start. So, um, Well, it is a president and no one does know how this should all go down or how this will all go down. Yeah, But there's again, there are a lot of people already capitalizing or trying to capitalize on uh, the EU referendum. I mean, now we are talking about, what was it? Frexit, uh, Nexit, Dexit, uh, <laughs> Chexit, uh, what else? So, yeah, but that, that's what we don't want to have. Sorry, what? A douse fart, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Gita, you were, you were, uh, I could sense you fuming when you, we were talking about the way the, the referendum was, uh, was structured with just one, you know, simple majority, one vote. Um, anything you want to add on that point? Well, I mean, how bonkers is it that we take a complex issue and we reduce it to yes, no, first of all? I mean, that's just ridiculous. And then, um, you know, uh, having it done the way it was. And uh, yeah, I think the, the definitely having a, a more or less 1% majority swing the whole thing for the whole country, you know. But it also shows divisions within the UK that have been there forever, you know. It's, and it's quite funny because some parts of the UK that voted to leave the EU were actually the parts that have received EU funding. And one of those uh, areas is Cornwall. It's It's been in the news a lot in the UK that um, Cornwall, which received a lot of funding and voted, I mean, yeah, again, it's not a huge majority, but it's 56% voted to leave. And then people were saying, oh, um, can we make sure we get some protection so this doesn't affect us? <laughs> <laughs> You know, we've had the, the I think we're going to ask you about the reaction in the days after the, the vote in a second. But in France, we've had, um, you know, we have the uh, labor law, which is being protested heavily uh, in the past few months, as I've talked about on this show. And um, a lot of people are saying, well, you're using that provision in the um, Constitution that allows Basically, the government is saying we're just going to force it through, uh, force it through the parliament. They can, once per, per parliamentary session, um, use a, an article called the 49.3, which allows them to put the law into law, basically, without asking the parliament. And it is forceful, for sure, and it exists exactly for the reason of... Um, uh, uh, going around the what makes the country ungovernable, which is those kinds of uh, blocking power plays. And then once it's done, the parliament can enforce a, a censorship motion. I'm tr tr uh, translating here uh, uh, approximately. Um, and then it, it challenges the government and it can mean big trouble for the government. So it's sort of a big gamble for the government to do this, but they do it all the time. They can do it once, uh, basically every six months, I think. Um, so yeah, it happens. But the, the left, the far left in France is saying, we don't want this law, we should have a referendum on it. 
And so not only that, but they're also anti-EU. They don't want to be in uh, the EU either. And so they're seeing all of this as, look, we should have referendums. They express the voice of the people. And it concerns me a lot because I don't think referendums, you shouldn't ask the entire population about complex issues with a yes or no answer uh, for, you know, every decision you want the country to make. Some people are saying, well, this is the most uh, democratic way of doing things. I don't really agree. And this shows, this Brexit, in my opinion, shows that, yes, you can ask them. But first of all, the communication, the campaigning was outrageous on, on this thing. And then we've seen a lot of people probably not a majority, but a lot of people voting who, you know, we've seen these on the internet and uh, on social networks saying the day after, oh, I didn't think my vote was going to count. I now, you know, I didn't realize it was actually going to work. And, you know, things like we want our we want to make sure our subsidies or our situation doesn't uh, uh change or things like that and i'm sure there's a portion of the people who voted leave who actually wanted to leave the eu because they think it's broken and they think you know there are structural issues with the union i'm sure there are a lot of people who voted out of anger though but um how has it gone you know the morning after gita how how was it in the uk how you know how did people feel i mean you're in london so you're part of the uh the 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 part of the country that voted to remain but uh, still well i tell you what i mean i came home from um a night out and it was around 11 o'clock and I was like, you know, I knew the polls closed at 10 and I'd voted earlier in the day. And I mean, we had some problems which were just weird, like flooding, uh, a rainfall and flooding that we've never seen the likes of for years and years. That meant, you know, from getting from my house to town where I can usually cycle it in 45 minutes, it took me six hours to get into town. And once I got into town, it took me about two hours to get home. And I was able to just about vote and then run out to what I was doing that evening um, and and made that kind of on time. But, uh, you know, a a lot of people had problems even getting home. But when I did get home at about 11 at night, first thing I wanted to do with the polls closing at 10 is watch it. But I thought, oh, you know, I have some work to do in the morning. I'm only going to stay up for an hour or so and watch it. And it was quite, um, you know, interesting viewing because it's like remain, remain, remain. And then a bit of leave and then a bit of remain. It's like, oh, this is quite exciting, but I'm sure it's going to be remain. And then, uh, you know, it sort of went to leave and then the leave gap was growing. And then uh, people were all on Facebook with me. This was around like midnight in London. And we're all of a sudden there's a lot of people chatting on, you know, Facebook chat going, what's going on? You know, it's like uh, this is like it's 500 lead now. It's a thousand lead. It's, a, you know, and, and watching it grow and grow. Oh, my God, 100,000 lead. And. And then you couldn't stop for a while because you were just like, come on, remain, remain. You're almost screaming at your computer, remain. <laughs> and uh, and then it got to about three in the morning and you just started seeing the number of, uh, you know, places that needed to be counted going down, down, down. And all you could see on your screen were more leaves than remains. And uh, and then you couldn't bear to watch anymore. I, I went to sleep at three in the morning, worst sleep of my life 
completely just hoping that I'd wake up in the morning and that would be a nightmare and it was all okay. And it wasn't okay. And it was really, everyone was just in the morning. People couldn't even speak to each other. People were just like, I couldn't even get out of bed. We were all distraught. We are absolutely distraught. And we still feel, we, we feel increasingly distraught every day. So yeah, the nightmare is not ending. I mean, it's easy to laugh about it, but, and you know, it's not like it's a war or anything, but it's certainly a, 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 a serious issue. Um, you're part of the, I'm sorry. It is a war. It's going to turn into a war. I mean, like, let's put it this way. The, the dangerous people are that far right group led by Nigel Farage, who we now call Nigel Fuhrer because uh, of that uh, propaganda copy. But, uh, you know, the day after the Brexit, they had a, a any questions show on BBC and I was invited to come to the audience. And uh, the person who was representing the UKIP party, you know, they had different representatives of each of the parties. Um, and it was a, you know, question, answer, debate show, whatever. But he asked, the, the representative from UKIP asked to be introduced as the lieutenant. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so, so that, yeah, go ahead, Matthias. Also, Farage seems to be the only person in the entire country that is happy now that uh, everyone voted leave because everyone else doesn't seem really know, to know what to do now. I mean, uh, Johnson, Cameron, everybody is all saying, so let's slow down. It doesn't have to be fast because it seems like they don't even know what to do now because they didn't expect it. And well, Farage is the only one who even now, uh, he visited the EU parliament today and basically he just provoked them and spread insults. I mean, yeah, nothing was, else. Yeah, I saw that. And there was the uh, Lithuanian, um, uh, I can't remember what someone palm? from Lithuanian yeah face, face palm man which is my hero now um, it was funny as as Farage was saying I know that you've never held a, a job a real job in your life to everyone which by the way my understanding is that he's a professional politician so I don't think he has more of a job than anyone else the Lithuanian dude who is a heart surgeon was face palming so um uh, but you know I want to get a feeling of looking at it from the outside. We're we're seeing the people from the Leave camp, and it seems that they, as I was saying, they voted angry. It's it's like you know um, going to shop for food when you're hungry, or or having you know having sex when you're drunk or something, and and you wake up afterwards, and it seems to us like a part of them at least are in disbelief and thinking wait did we do a did we make a huge mistake or did we make a mistake is that the way you're seeing it from uh the inside gita or and bearing in mind you're part of the uh remain campaign so i mean not sorry i don't mean that you're part of the people who wanted to I remain voted remain yeah right right um but is that is is that feeling that we're perceiving from here that Oh crap! Uh, is that real, or is it just maybe us who would like to everyone to be happy in the EU uh, are are sort of playing this in our heads? Okay, let's put it this way: you've got three or four groups. Okay, you've got one group who was lied to and believed that they were going to be better off if they voted to leave. Because uh, actually, I looked at the publication of the Economist for Brexit, as they called themselves, and uh, their 
uh, assumptions for the leave were ludicrous, like, oh, the money uh, the UK pays in uh, you know, that 0.8% of, uh, of GDP to the EU is going to be returned to everyone in the form of a tax cut. And you're like, what? That When, when has anyone ever passed a tax cut? You know, and there, there are all sorts of assumptions like this, which other people didn't look at, but they thought that was true. So they voted on that. So there was that group. Then there was a group that thought it was a joke and they just wanted to, like, show their displeasure. They didn't realize this was, like, a permanent step. Um, there was another group that um, thought that uh, thought that it was just funny to vote leave and wanted to show the government, like scare them, like, OK, you think you remain, but you're going to get 49 percent leave and then found out it was 51 percent. And then there's the scary bunch who actually are the far right or were able to be kind of convinced into the far right. And those are the people that are causing racist incidents by, you know, all every day, at least four or five people on just my Facebook friends point out something horrible that's happened personally to, you know, them or somebody they know. That's a really, really nasty racist incident. All right. Is there a group, I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second, don't you think there is a group that genuinely thinks the EU is bureaucratic and, and doesn't work and they actually think either it, it would be they, the UK would be better off uh, not being part of that, that union or uh, at the very least showing that there, it's a way for them to, to say there is a problem in all of this and we are so... Uh, You know, we're in despair. We don't know what to do. And this is our only way to fire warning shot, basically, who, which ended up being a, an actual shot. But fire warning shot at the government and at the EU saying, fix your shit. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But that was, I mean, I guess that's the same as the third group. But the point is, I mean, most people, even on the Remain side, think the EU is a little bit screwed up. And, uh, you know, but it's the best of the... You know, to remain is the best of the two options. Maybe you can fix you can fix a bad relationship, but if you leave a relationship that's actually, uh, you know, the only thing that's your income or whatever it is, your life, you know, it's it's uh, you know it's a bad thing. Um, so I think both sides know that the EU has problems, um, and I think uh, if we want to say. Uh, the group that, say, Boris Johnson was leading was like, oh, if we say leave, then um, we're going to scare the EU into giving us more concessions, is what he was saying. So, uh, you know, this is uh, what's happened is, uh, yeah, there are people who are unhappy, but I think most people didn't really want to leave except the far right. Right. So you think it's only that UKIP party that actually actively doesn't want to be part of the EU no matter what? Yeah. You know, it's that the, the bad relationship analogy is interesting. The one I came up with is I'm sure there are people, and, and as you were saying, even I think everywhere, even within your own country, most people think that their government isn't functioning properly or there are issues that could be fixed. And certainly it's the case for the EU in, in, in France. We think that there are issues, but there are a couple of things. First of all, when you think a system, let's say if you think you have cancer and you know it's a mild cancer but may, or maybe it's a terminal cancer let's think let's say you think eu has cancer 
And the way to fix it isn't by, you know, you're not going to fix your cancer by stabbing yourself in the leg, right? It's kind of, this is what it feels like. If you think that the EU is not working, then I'm sure there are better ways than taking yourself out of the equation, especially since one of the big issues was immigration. And it's sort of this idea of the single market, which is basically free uh, uh, passage of goods and services and people, um, within the single market of, of the EU is a problem for immigration. And the answer that some of the um, English polit politicians were, were uh, providing was, well, let's take back control of our borders. And if you want to stop immigration, then you can close the borders. But if you want to be part of the, global mar of the single market, then you have to have you know, free passage of goods and people. You can't you can't have both at the same time, and but that's what the UK is be, trying now. But you, but you need to be part of the the market because the world is global, right? It's a simple it's technology. You have cars, you have trains, you have planes, you have uh, the internet, and the market. I mean, I'm sure you could go back to living like you know in the Victorian era, but I don't think that would be better for most people who voted Leave. I mean, there's there's a a square peg and a round hole or something here. And I don't understand how it, it, it people got convinced, let themselves be convinced that this would work out. And that's, 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 that's what's very, I, I can't understand, seriously. I, I, the only people who's getting hurt from this are, are the Brits, not the EU. The EU isn't really going to be affected by this as much as the Brits, because the Brits have had this relationship with the EU that they had so many exceptions and they are basically kind of part of the EU. They're not even part of the EU if you look at it very closely. So I don't know what's, what they're, what's the point of leaving the EU when they weren't actually in it. They, but they get, were getting all the good parts of the EU, which is the open market, the access and everything. And they just hit, shot themselves in the foot by losing that access, that direct open access. I agree. But I think one of the things to bear in mind is a lot of people in the UK don't understand how the EU works. And, uh, you know, even some of the politicians, I mean, I told you I went to that BBC debate. Well, one of the conservative politicians who was, um, you know, for the leave side, one of the Eurosceptics, um, he was saying, oh, you know, all these Syrian immigrants and Kenneth Clark, who was a, a you know, conservative politician who was on the Remain side, um, said, what are you talking about, Syrians? I mean, Britain always had control over how many Syrians come in or not. The EU open market only really refers to Europeans coming in. So, 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 so they have a problem with the refugees coming from Syria, but they have no problem of housing and welcoming all the extremist religious anti-government leaders to live in London and run their opposition from there. No, well, this is the whole point. People uh, are are so confused about what's going on. No one knows what the right news is. The politicians themselves don't know what the news, what, what the reality is. And I think that is part of the problem. And the other problem is it was actually Boris Johnson who started turning the press into 
you know, Euro haters. Basically, uh, there was a, a something written by Martin Fletcher, who was the political correspondent for Brussels for the um, Times, and he talked about how Boris Johnson, when he was a journalist a long time ago, um, got sacked from the Times for fabricating a story. And then he got a job at the Telegraph where he started writing, um, you know, lots and lots of uh, exaggerated, often just untrue stories about Europe and making fun of European bureaucrats and all sorts of things just for, um, you know, kind of, uh, uh, I guess, uh, you know, the power of exaggeration and, and, you know, caricature sort of thing. And uh, people in the government, people in Fleet Street, you know, lots of powerful people thought it was fun because everything else about the EU was boring. And uh, after a while, all the press, including the stately press, started instructing their journalists to start writing things like this because that's what the people wanted. And then it starts to become things that people believe. So there was almost no coverage in the press over the past 15 years, maybe 20 years, about anything positive about the EU. But to you be know fair... The, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, but to be fair, people not knowing what the EU is about or how, or how the EU is functioning isn't limited to the UK. That's a problem all over the continent. And ultimately, I think it's the politicians to blame that started the referendum or thought they might... Uh, be able to use this referendum as a way to silence the far right or anything because they were just gambling with parameters they couldn't predict really so the gambling as you said turned wrong and uh, yep. they just lost i think you know there's certainly a lot of that it it will go down in history i think ultimately as the the stupidest way of gambling you can because you can gamble you can give a referendum and make it two-thirds, you know, two-thirds majority and a, a number of mechanisms that, that make it work. But the methods was certainly flawed for such a big decision. And, and I have people telling me, oh, but this is democratic. Again, I said it, but I'm going to say it again. Democracy doesn't mean asking everyone what they think about every decision you're making in the government. That is not necessarily democracy. But well, I mean, they could they could just shut down all the parliaments and just let the, every decision voted by the people. Right. As well, there are other methods, but you know, just just I want to. No, get I'm talking this about there, those people who call this democracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Um, but the other thing is, I think it is an issue with fear, and you're you know, we're talking about the politicians and Gita. You're talking about the media. I think I think ultimately all of us are somewhat responsible. I'm not going to shy away from my, you know, every person is responsible to a small extent. But I think politicians and the media are more responsible. I think in the media, because of the way the system works, you want to, uh, you want to show sensational, sensationalistic things and, and negativity and, and uh, you know, violence and, and fear works better, plays better on the screen or on the paper than, uh, you know, taking the mic to say, hey, everything's fine today. Awesome. You know, that's not going to sell a lot. And politicians get a better platform um, because people, when they're riled up, they make, uh, you know, they, they get more active. And fear is a dangerous tool because it's powerful but it leads you to make 
irrational decision. Literally, fear makes us make bad decisions. And I think the the big issue is trying to sort out what is real and what is true and and what isn't. And I think we're not, and the media is not making a great job out of this. And it's there's a, a I think a tendency maybe. Uh, in the UK, certainly in France, and I think in the US, to sort of be objective about everything and neutral about everything. And I think that some politicians shouldn't be treated in the same way that the other politicians are. And some people will say, oh, all politicians lie and they're all crooks and, you know, they all try to make little small arrangements with the truth. But I think in some cases... I think it's not the same, basically. What I'm saying is uh, uh, Farage and uh, Cameron are not the same. And uh, Hillary Clinton and um, and Trump are not the same. It's not the same thing. When you have someone who is a, a troll, I mean, I'm going to Trump for a second here, but because he's the one I know a little bit better, maybe. But when he uses terms like you know, what is it, lying Hillary and crooked whatever, and he uses those terms, it's repeatedly, he's being a troll, he's trolling people, and he is being a bully. And I understand that you can, that you think Hillary is lying, and that you think that whoever is crooked, but in civil society, in poli- not even polite, in, in civilized society, you act a certain way even if you disagree with someone. When you're being an internet troll... It is dangerous because you're playing with people's fears and you get them to make, you know, to, to make decisions that I are love, not I, logical. I, I love how he congratulated the Scots for taking their country back. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, you know, when, when it's that level of asinineness, I think it should be, we should be doing, all of us should be, shouldn't be neutral anymore. And I understand this is dangerous as well because you don't want, if you start not being neutral, then you who, who do you trust? When? Why? And that line is very difficult to, 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 to define. But I think once you've crossed it and, and things like what the, to get back to the Brexit issue, things that the Brexit peddlers were were saying were factually inaccurate factually inaccurate and gross you know i don't even know how to define them and i don't understand why it wasn't made evident that this was bullcrap gita maybe you can put it this way you want to talk about fear well fear exists within an environment same way lies exist within an environment and when the environment is the longest recession since the 1930s, when that recession and its impact on certain groups is magnified by an uneven distribution of wealth and uneven distribution of government services, or worse in the UK, a cutting of welfare benefits, uh, sort of clearing out of uh, any poor people from good areas, including taking people from London and moving them out and sort of splintering their families, their communities, which was starting to happen over the last two years in London. How, um, how so? How does that happen? It was, you must have heard about this whole gentrification process, but um, you've had the housing prices really rising like 
you know, nobody's ever seen in London. A part of it is um, French escaping their 50% tax and buying property in London. A lot of North African and Middle Eastern uh, leaders who have been, or and their families who've been chased out of their countries with a lot of wealth that's uh, been acquired in sometimes dubious ways, um, needing a place that uh, has... Uh, easy access to property because we don't have all those laws and regulations the French have, for example, for buying a property. If you have money, you can just walk into London and buy a property and you've got secure property rights and and all sorts of things like this. It's, it's driven up the property market uh, prices. It's made councils decide to sell off some of their social housing for a profit or to uh, move out certain groups so that the new groups that are going to pay higher taxes are more comfortable. There are all, all sorts of things happening. But uh, one of the things we've seen a lot of is entire communities being more or less moved out because they were in social housing. And if if they're not paying for their housing, well, we can move them wherever they want. But it starts to cause a problem in other places because where they're being moved to then uh, is being impoverished or or there's new groups in there that are angry. And most of those places where the angry people are moved are are outside of London. So what you're saying is, but ironically, those, if my understanding is correct, it's mostly uh, poorer people, people from uh, outside of London and maybe older who might not have, uh, uh, you know, retirement funds or things like that that voted to exit. Yep. So, so uh, you know, how do you fix it? How do you... I, I don't understand how this can be... Uh, and, and to be honest, this is what we're hearing, which should be a concern maybe to all of us. I think this is what we're hearing in France as well. And I think this is what, what was happening in Spain and in, in Greece, that growing divide. And in the, in the US as well, I think a lot of this is is the platform that Trump is running on, um, or, you know, maybe not the platform he's running on, but certainly his base is part of the same uh, uh, population. And I'm wondering if it's the same in, in Germany, Matthias. Do you have that growing divide between the haves and the have-nots that are that is being uh, uh, used politically? And, you know, which is a reality, possibly. Definitely. Also, uh, the fear of losing whatever you have left because of the uh, quote-unquote refugees uh, who take our uh, our all wealth, all our wealth, and stuff like that. So it, it gives rise to all sorts of uh, parties and politicians who take advantage of that. Definitely. So the fee, uh, what I, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is the 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 frustration and the fear doesn't take hold if there isn't a a, a basic. An, an already fertile ground, which is, I guess, what you were saying, uh, Gita. I'm sort of stealing your your idea there, but uh, right, that that's what you were implying. Completely. Well, that doesn't have to be a real threat, though. It can just be an imagined threat, also. Well, I think in this case, the the EU was made. I think most people would agree into whatever failings it has. It was made into a bigger you know, problem and responsible for a, a scapegoat for every issue when I don't think it is responsible for every issue or leaving is going to fix every issue. But given all of that fear that we're 
you know, for various reasons is, is being sold to us by politicians in the media. How do we, how do we make sense of it? How do we, does reality even matter? I guess is the question. Does reality matter when you can tell we're going to get, you know, we give 320 million pounds to the EU every week. Let's fund the NHS instead. That, that has no basis in reality. So, but it, but it still got people to, to vote for the guy, How, not for the guy, but for leave. Does reality matter? That would be a good question for Gita, if I may ask. Uh, from the looking from the outside, you only heard about the Leave campaign and not for the Remain campaign. I, I, th I saw a few pictures and a few articles that they actually exist, but you never heard or saw them, except for the one, uh, the boat clash on the Thames or something. Other than that, there was nothing. Uh, why didn't they mobilize the same amount of uh, supporters and try to counter all those which were actual lies and false information? No, people were countering it. This is where I, I have an issue. Is uh, It's almost like another set of lies saying that Remain didn't have any force. Uh, I believe that uh, the mass media, for one thing, don't like to cover uh, Jeremy Corbyn. I don't know why exactly this is, but this has been a problem. They They try and make him out to be a bad guy when actually when you follow him, Um, and most people who've been following him have been and and wanted to vote for him and know things about him are doing it through social media. So it's a different form of media. So this is where we've got that divide between the sort of older and the younger generation here. The the things that you guys are hearing in Europe or seeing in the media, you're talking about the mass media, but actually. Most of us are looking at social media and, and deciding. We decided a long time ago we don't trust the mass media. And the Remain campaign was very, very strong. In fact, everyone, part of the reason everyone thought Remain was going to go through is all we saw was, okay, so, you know, Cameron wants us to remain. Uh, Corbyn wants us to remain. Uh, we're getting, uh, you know, advertisements from Germany and France and whatever in the newspapers and all over the social media begging us to remain. Um, you know, all the, the wealthy businesses want us to remain. I mean, there was only like 10% of businesses that wanted to leave. You know, so it's like it's like all the different power structures plus all the people we seem to be talking to on social media all wanted to remain. So as far as we heard, we didn't see much leave stuff except for Farage and Boris Johnson, who nobody takes seriously, and uh, Michael Gove, who everyone hates. So but, but that's that's part of the issue, isn't it? You you stay in social media, especially maybe it's easier to stay within the circles that you know, you agree with. So you're only seeing your your own circles. You're not being exposed to what the other people think. That's something that a lot of people are saying. That could be, but even in the papers, it was like it, the way they covered the leave was with disdain. And, uh, uh, you know, remain was, it was just assumed we were going to remain. So is is that part of the issue? Did anyone actually... Uh, explain that things like that NHS funding was not going to happen. Oh, yeah. Everyone was saying it. 
But the problem was Farage and then joined by Boris Johnson, who called it Project Fear. They were saying all these things, they're just, uh, they're saying, oh, there's going to be an apocalypse. Don't listen to them. They're just making it up. They're like born again Christians. You know what I mean? This was like the, the sort and of. And so that's, I, that's what I'm saying. The reality doesn't matter in the end. Because, you know, it's like, and I hate to go to extremes, but it's like 1984. You're, you're, whatever you're saying, what is real doesn't really matter. What you're saying is the truth. And I don't know how we get out of it. This is what we're seeing. I would argue even in France and certainly in the US, I don't know about the UK, uh, how do we make reality matter? Okay, but there's one more thing to bear in mind. What we're talking about as well is something we call the post-factual politics now. And the reason we say this is Michael Gove, who was one of these people. Um, are you there still, Patrick? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, Turkey, so. Turkey's uh, connection was broken. Maybe he got tired of not me not letting him speak. And he oh, right no. Away. <laughs> oh, no, he's back, I think. Uh, don't know. All right, keep going. Yeah, all I was going to say is that... Um, Uh, you know, Michael Gove, who I told you was one of the people who was uh, for leave, and he was within uh, the cabinet of David Cameron as the justice secretary. Um, and he actually made a comment, like basically at one point, it went from economics and talking about the EU as holding the UK back or any of those sorts of things. It started to center completely just on immigration and it started to center completely just on emotions because he actually said um, after this whole Project Fear stuff, when people were saying, well, experts say this, who are you? You're not an expert. And he actually said, uh, we don't need experts. Oh, that actually made a lot of... I, I heard about it quite a bit and that infuriates me so much. It's, it, it, he said something along the lines of the, 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 the British people have had enough of all the, these experts. Yes, that's right? right. And so basically it was saying, forget the facts, just go with what you feel. And then it turned into, all of this has to do with immigration. And that's the thing that's going to impoverish us. You know, if you, and this was where it started to embolden the far right. Uh, Gove and Johnson started to then align with the far right, even though they weren't going to the far right side fully, but started to empower them by turning the whole thing into immigration and that the EU is forcing immigrants on us and they're taking jobs away and they're the ones that are impoverishing the country. Not the fact that we haven't invested anything in these areas for a long time. Yet so, still, even though it took that spin, if enough young people would have voted, it still might have been a remain. So basically, it's also an issue that uh, a lot of people said, well, I don't need to vote, apparently. Yeah, it might definitely. I mean, we've seen a lot of the uh, different votes in different uh, uh, age categories. And uh, interestingly, the, the, the young who voted, voted in majority in majority for Remain. The old or older who voted vo voted to leave. And a lot of, I've seen a few times, French far-right uh, activists posting uh, a, another graphic with the ones who didn't vote. Basically, in the, the younger categories, it was, you know, 60 or 70% who didn't vote. And the, the far, I'm sorry, did I say far-right? Far-right, I meant far-left. Did left. you say 60 or 70% didn't vote? Yeah, that's what I've seen. I, I of, the, of the of the uh, 18 to 24. 
Okay, uh, I don't know about that, but um, I would say, uh, yeah, I, I'd find that I'd have to actually see that okay. because maybe uh, we should we should check it. But um, my point was going to be they were saying actually the young didn't vote to remain because they themselves are pushing the idea that first of all we need a referendum for that labor law, and second they want to get out of the EU because reasons. That would be another another show, but um, I mean. Another reaction, I, and by the way, we haven't solved that problem or, of how do you make reality, how do you make facts matter? Because we've explained how we got into a situation where they didn't matter, but we didn't you know, get to a point where we understand how we can fix this. Maybe it's a problem of education. Maybe we need to really focus on having better education everywhere. And even that is an entirely different problem because no matter how much money we're throwing at that issue, we're not seeming to to find a, a good way of tackling it. But I want to ask another question uh, to Turkey this time. To Turkey. Oh, go ahead. You have an idea. I'll ask how about, after. How about we just get rid of all, all of the politicians and start fresh? And what do we do? We start fresh. I'm oh, not going to say how to get rid of them. Oh, so we get rid of them. We just get new ones, but the old ones we, we get rid of. We start fresh. We start training them from scratch. I, I wouldn't be against that idea, honestly. <laughs> um, but so I have another question for you, Turkey. Looking at this, you know, democracy, I think, is the pride of uh, Western culture. I think this is, you know, freedom and democracy and the right to vote and all of this. And I think... Yes, I'm, I'm in, liking democracy less and less. Thanks well, to you. that's French exactly my point. and you Americans and you Brits. That's exactly my point. I think the the happiest person on the planet when this happened was uh, was uh, Putin. You know, he he is he has a, a liberal interpretation of democracy in his own country, um, and I think the sentiment, um, at least from what I'm hearing from uh, people who know uh, Russia, is that the people who vote for for I was going to say for Yeltsin uh, for Putin are saying are thinking you know. Because of what happened after the fall of the uh, Soviet Union, democracy is chaos. Democracy is instability. And it's not necessarily the best answer for everything. I wouldn't agree with this, but I think it could be interesting how those uh, uh, chaotic instances, such as the Brexit are uh, discussed in countries maybe that that don't also that also don't uh, have a, a similar democracies so i'm tur turning to you turkey um you know what do you think of all of this or maybe what do you think that people around you think how do they take this as an example of the uh, uh dominance of western culture well people are basically here the pro uh monarchy or pro uh, whatever you call them in Egypt or in other countries are saying, see, that's what democracy gets you. Just be grateful for what you have right now. Right. So I guess it is. Yeah. Keep... yeah. It's, uh, it's, I'm telling you the, the fact that Saudis are actually people I talk to are actually saying the Brits are crazy. Why would they have a vote? And only 51% are enough to make a decision for the entire nation. Mm. And this is, we're talking about people who don't even know what democracy is. <laughs> um, and, and maybe, you know, last episode, we titled it uh, Democracy at its Best, saying that these kinds, this kind of 
social unrest might have led to much worse uh, outcomes if we didn't have a way, a, a democratic way to express your frustration. I'm not saying it should be a, a, a referendum. Uh, maybe it could have been through through elections of some kind. But isn't that, I'm turning to Gita again, isn't that the strength of democracy that we're not going down in the streets and throwing stones and and fighting each other with pikes and guns that that's coming from the frenchman all right <laughs> exactly <Sure>. exactly that's <laughs> how important it well, is i mean the the thing that uh i guess we could say was okay i'm going to go back to our point about whether remain had any press coverage the biggest press coverage remain had and the biggest sort of warning shot, and it really was a shot, was when uh, one of the supporters of Nigel Farage and UKIP went and killed one of the Labour MPs, a female Labour MP. Jesse Cox, right? Yep, Joe Cox, just before before the the referendum was taking place. And uh, I think um, the, the strange thing about the UK is the way that the politics runs in the UK, there aren't real checks and balances. It's not really a democracy in the way it should work. And uh, to counter that, having something like this, this uber-democratic democ- vote of, uh, you know, this referendum is at great odds with what was going on, you know, generally what does go on generally in politics. And what's weirder is David Cameron has now said he's going to stand down. But um, because he's standing down and because the government has to call a general election before there's a general election, um, the Conservative Party just chooses a new leader. And whoever that leader is, that's only just chosen from within the Conservative Party itself, will become our new prime minister. So, so it's a very but strange... But that's not really unusual, is it? Well, it's unusual after this kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a extremes with what has just happened. You know, I guess it's, so, it's yeah. real shades of what is democracy, one which is almost the antithesis of democracy and one which is such an extreme form of democracy and and both without any kind of um stop gaps you know right checks and balances i guess um so okay we've been talking about this for about an hour i think it's pretty clear that we don't we're trying to understand it we don't have a, a we haven't done that with any certainty i don't think it's really possible we have uh clues maybe um and we don't know what's going to happen but Do you think, you know, Gita, is there a, a, an idea of what's going to happen now? What does the future hold? Is it actually going to happen? I, I, I've heard uh, rumblings about an EEA slash uh, Norway type deal uh, for the, the UK, which basically means <laughs> you're part of the, the single market uh, and you, you do what the EU tells you, but you're not part of the decision-making process. And... Ironically, that might have to happen for the UK's economy to not tank, which means the UK would still be bound by EU regulation, but not have any decision power in the way they're being made. Um, but is is there is there a possibility of another referendum happening to counter it? Is that where are we going? 
Well, people were talking about a second referendum, but that's now been mooted and partly because it would more empower the far right. And also with a lot of the violence and racist incidents happening, nobody wants that to happen, I think. Second thing that's being uh, now sent around a a new petition is that um, apparently, as I understand it, if parliament doesn't pass or the prime minister doesn't pass Article 50, that you can't be chucked out of the EU. So basically, if you don't enact Article 50, you're still part of the EU. So there's a big petition going around saying, don't pass Article 50. But is that even possible? They can't. I mean, I understand that technically it's possible, but they can't. Once you've asked, the, it's like it's the domino effect. Once Cameron had said, we're going to do a referendum, he had to do it. Once the referendum has happened, you have to do it. I mean, it would. I understand it's it's a very painful thing but it would the only thing that would be more anti-democratic than what has happened until now would be to not pass article 50 wouldn't it well we're not sure what's going to happen because half of the politicians i mean one of the worrying things is that the only party as we said earlier that seems to be standing kind of firm and not looking like it's disintegrating is ukip And, uh, you know, there have been some dangerous statements like only a leave uh, representative should be prime minister. And increasingly, it looks like either Boris Johnson, who a lot of people are against, or Nigel Farage. And this is what's really scary. Uh, The other thing is um, we can't really see our economy doing anything but tanking. At the moment, Um, there doesn't seem to be a way of uh, stopping that. And people are saying if there's a way to go back in the EU, what would have to happen? Now, I'm in Germany, as I said, and all the people over here are saying if you were to join the EU again, then you'd have to join it completely, like join the euro, do all these things. And (laughs) what what made me laugh since I've been here, but not a very nice laugh, kind of a a sort of sour, bitter laugh, is that in essence, I'm getting a one-to-one exchange rate here. We more or less join the euro. (laughs) Because the economy is so bad that, I mean, the, the, The the pound has sunk so low, right? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, on, on the exchange rate programs, it looks like it's not a one-to-one, but I haven't yet seen a place that's offering me more than one-to-one. And then oh, there's he, the issue of... of oh, sorry, go ahead, Matthias. I was just about to say, um, you have to invoke Article 50 yourself. So it's, it's really on the UK to actually do that. But then again, since the referendum isn't binding for the politicians or the government, they don't have to actually do anything if they don't want to. On the other hand, the EU is now pushing for exactly that, that you actually invoke the Article 50 because they, of course, are now hanging limbo and it's not good for the economy or the EU itself if there is uncertainty if the UK is leaving or maybe it's not leaving. Right, right. Yes, exactly. So the point is, this is why we're pushing for it, I guess, in the UK, is uh, certainty is what the EU wants. And if we said we're certainly not invoking Article 50, that would be as good as invoking Article 50. From but a that can't happen, Gita. <laughs> Realistically, it can't happen. I, I understand we all want it to happen, but it can't. No, what we're saying is we don't. I, I don't think it's going to happen either, but it's the closest you get to turning around from this. But the problem, what you're not getting is no politician, except for Farage, wants to invoke Article 50. 
I guess that's why Cameron uh, left the house. Exactly. Uh, but- he left to leave those leave people to try and do it, and nobody wants to do it. So there's a, another part of that future, which is uh, Scotland possibly leaving. I think they're getting more and more serious about leaving the UK. Uh, there's Northern Ireland possibly doing it as well, Gibraltar, even though that counts a little bit less. Uh, but at that point, the most ironic thing is, how do you tell Scotland not to leave the Union because we're stronger together quote unquote, when you just yourself voted to leave the, the EU saying, oh, we don't need those stronger to the, together types of ideas. It- Now, just like you've said that we can't really not leave the EU once we've said it, there's another uh, argument that's being played out that Scotland just had a referendum only a year ago where they chose to be part of the UK. And so any UK decision is binding. So I agree with you. Yeah, we don't know what's going to happen with Scotland. Um, we also don't know if they did pass a referendum, how it's going to go, though I suspect I know how it's going to go. But uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, questions of what's happening with the United Kingdom. And, and definitely it won't be Great Britain if it breaks up. It's going to be Little Britain and sound like a TV show. <laughs> It sounds like uh, there must be a joke somewhere about Little Britain and, and Farage, you know, some kind of play on something. And uh, I'm not finding it, finding it right now, but it it would be sexual in nature, I'm sure. Um, all right. Uh, I think we've, we've circled around every possible uh, uh, aspect of this issue. Before we leave, um, I want to give Matthias and Turkey, who have been very patient and, and very kind, uh, a, an opportunity maybe to tell us what has been making the news in their uh, countries very quickly, and then we'll, we'll close the show. Um, maybe uh, Turkey first? Well, uh, first, uh, I think we should have uh, at least mentioned uh, the shooting in Orlando earlier in the month. And uh, we should remember those people who were killed in such a massacre, since we haven't mentioned it. I agree. Uh, and second, in Saudi, the biggest news has been uh, a very sad news that just shows you the ideology of ISIS or Daesh, whatever you want to call them, where uh, uh, 18-year-old twins have murdered their mother and attempted to murder their father and their brother. Because they are uh, brainwashed by the Daesh ideology, ISIS ideology, and they wanted to leave the country to join them in Syria, and their family stopped them and threatened to call the authorities on them. How was that uh, relayed by the press? Oh, it's, it's all over the news. It's a horrible. It's you come from a culture where you have a family society based on family, and. The fact that anyone could actually kill their mother is just something that nobody can comprehend at all. It's the horrible, very horrible news. It's making it's all over the media and it's really affecting everybody very badly. All right. Um, that's kind of hard to transition from. Uh, Matthias, what about Germany? Yeah, how do you follow up something like that? Well, but uh, over here, uh, everyone is just talking about one thing at the moment, and that's the European Championship of football. So especially since uh, England just lost against Iceland. 
and uh, that's all everybody's talking about. And other oh, than that's, that, that's the top joke right now here. Yeah, Italy, the second Brexit within a week. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think the the best one I've seen, the best joke about this was uh, someone saying, "Oh, the players didn't realize that if they lost, it meant they uh, got out of the Euro uh, Championship, so they would like, you know, now they're completely uh, despaired." So they were just trying to be extra patriotic yeah. on this uh, front. <laughs> and other than that, uh, for today and uh, yesterday, everyone on social media is talking about how 20, uh, 2016 is a bitch because a lot of uh, famous people are dying uh, right now. And uh, for in the last two days, two actors, uh, very well-known actors died. And uh, that's what's making the news at the moment. Yeah, I've seen that meme as well. 2016 has taken. I mean, there were deaths, but I didn't realize it was more than other it just, years. It's, it's confirmation bias, probably, probably. but uh, it seems like a lot of famous people died this year. Um, and in France, I guess uh, the labor law issues are still very big, uh, still uh, uh, striking and uh, demonstrations in the street. Uh, a little bit more controlled at this stage. Uh, the Euro, of course, is very big. The Euro 2016, the football competition. Uh, France is playing, is it Ireland or Iceland? I can't remember. At the end of the week, and my wife absolutely wants us to watch it. I think it's Iceland. It is um, Iceland. Right. There you go. I'm not a football fan, but I guess I I'm heard your wife is uh, voting for another team. <laughs> yes, I think that there's going to be a, a house divided at that uh, during that evening. Um, and then uh, the, the socialist sitting president has declared he wants to organize uh, primaries for the, um, the next elections. Uh, so he wants to organize primaries, uh, which is a first for a sitting president in his own party. Um, and that comes from the fact that because of the labor law protests, there has been a lot of splintering, a lot of... Uh, so he wants to re-solidify the, the party and the candidate, and he wants it to be him, but it is not certain at all that it's going to be him. But uh, that's a first for, for us. Um, all right, I think that will do it for the show today. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for being here. Thanks especially to Turkey and, and Matthias of being here, for being here and, uh, uh, as I was saying, patiently waiting as uh, myself was talking too much and Gita was kindly explaining what's happening in that crazy country of hers. Well, I figured, uh, Patrick, you, you had so much kept inside of you about this Brexit thing that we had to let you get it all out of this. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm, this is the slightly emotional portion of the show. I'm both, both furious and sad. Oh, God, you know? that's a shocker. Nobody would have guessed that at all. I know, I know, I know. But I mean... <laughs> looking at your tweets. <laughs> I, 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 I have been talking about this a lot, but you know, it feels like there is a real sense of maybe not family, but kin kinship in some way that has been building in Europe. And I think that a lot of the younger generations feel that proximity. We're all traveling. We have well, this Erasmus program. Aren't you French and British people supposed to hate each other and keep well, that's, going to wars every few years? That's the thing. It used to be like that for centuries. And the same with Germans, right? And the same with everyone in Europe. We used to fight each other all the time. And 
some of the great benefits of this union that we have is that we are all friends and we are together linked through economy and politics and and sometimes it's messy and yes it's not perfect and and sometimes we make fun of the germans with their you know sandals with socks and stuff like that but and and we make fun of everyone and and we get angry at everyone but we're together and we are you know feeling closer and closer to everyone. And the fact that the UK, and I, I'm sure this is going to make you sad as well, Gita, the fact that the UK, because ultimately the UK in its majority, not, you know, more than 50% said, we don't want to be with you, is that group of friends analogy I was talking about earlier. It's a slap in the face. It hurts. It it feels like <laughs> it's, it, it, it's almost like I want to say, so... Everything we lived through together didn't mean anything to you. You know, it's it, that's how it feels. Yeah, and, but then when you start to think about it's a bunch of old people who are just scared, don't know what's going to happen to themselves, are slowly becoming impoverished. And, um, you know, they, they're just scared and somebody played on their fears. And they sold yeah. their kids down the river. And that's the worst part. Is uh, you know, and and a lot of those kids that got sold down the river aren't so small, but um, a lot of them are in London and couldn't even get to the polls. But you know, it's it's just a really uh, it's a really sad thing. So the solution I, you know, is never get old and fearful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess never never get fearful, especially when you have to vote on the future of your country. Is a, a good. <laughs> you know, baseline. But I'm also reminded of something that uh, Eric said a few uh, months ago on this show. He said about France, about France and the labor law pro protests, uh, it's a bunch of old people robbing the young of their future. And yeah. I'm, you know, there are young people in those uh, movements, absolutely. But I, my interpretation is also that It's it's people who have, you know, pensions or who, who don't have pensions, who are impoverished. But I honestly think it's people making bad decisions for the future to try and keep whatever they have. And yeah. the worst thing is they wouldn't, it, it's not going to change that. The decisions they're making is not going to change their situation. It's just going to make everything worse for the people that come after. It's so, anyway, all right, I'm getting. No, no, I agree. And you're you're a professor of economics, Gita. So I I am so upset by this, and uh, you know you just the worst part when you're an economist is telling everyone, look, it's just obvious that these bad things will happen, and people say we're just not going to listen anymore because we think we know better. And you know, yes, sometimes experts and analysts and and professors make mistakes. Yes, absolutely. And the bank bailout was super painful. Maybe it was necessary. Maybe it wasn't. And and sometimes the people who know aren't right. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to them. It's it's so asinine. This uh, all right. Let's yeah. Let's, It, it must be hard for, especially hard for you, Gita, when you're like, but this is what I do. You know, it's like, if you can't understand why this is important, try to think of something you really know, you know, like 
Computers, I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this show know a lot about the internet and IT. And when you watch a movie and they do ridiculous things on the computer, you're like, this is so dumb. It doesn't work like that, right? Well, yeah. this is how I'm sure it feels when you're, you know economics and you have someone that gets on the political stage and says ridiculous things like we're going to fund the NHS with money from the uh, from the EU. Or, you know, it's going to lift the economy and it's going to lower uh, uh, unemployment rates and stuff like that. And you're like, you're watching the screen and it's like watching, you know, uh, uh, the, the movie version of computers. And you know it's dumb, you know it's ridiculous. And when you turn around and tell people, it's, it doesn't work like that. And people go ahead and vote yeah, for the guy the, anyway. Who I was... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I had somebody um, uh, who went to that uh, do with me the night I went, you know, the night of the Brexit uh, when we were getting the results, you know, when everyone was voting. And he admitted to me he voted leave. And I was screaming at him going, what, what the hell? Like, how could you do that? Like, on what basis? And uh, he said, oh, well, you know, it's not going to make much of a difference. I said, what are you talking about? We're going to have worse terms of trade. He's like, it's not going to affect our terms of trade. Germany's not, not going to change our terms of trade. I was like, what are you talking about? The EU is all about terms of trade. It was just like watching some, he just doesn't understand. All right. Uh, I guess the lessons of this show is don't make decisions based on fear and ignorance. And ignorance. But we come back to the issue that we don't know how to make reality matter. If you have a solution for that, if you have a solution to make reality matter, please let us know because I think we're at a loss here. In the meantime, we're going to leave this show. But before we do, please, um, Gita, do you have anywhere people who listen who, want, who might want to know more about you or you know what you do can go or do you not have any public presence on the web? Uh, I have a public well, I don't have like a Twitter account or anything. I, yeah, I guess um, they can just uh, look for me on academia.edu or on uh, LinkedIn or something. But uh, yeah, I'll I'll uh, put your name in the in the show notes. They'll be able to find you. Um, Turkey, where can people find you? Well, people can find me on Twitter, Turkey Albala, T U R K I A L B A double L double A. Perfect. You'll and, be in the notes. Yep. And we have a breaking news explosions and gunfire at, at the Turk airport in Istanbul. Uh, all right. Well, all right. you know, you know what's really sad? I, I don't think we're going to see a lot of it on the European media because football is happening. Yeah. 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 And and again, the just last quick, very quick thought. Fear can also come from the idea that it's us against them, and the idea that terrorism targets us when the the victims that are the most affected by terrorists are the people in the Middle East and the people in in you know those countries. So just saying, um, Matthias. Yeah. So someone wanted to add something. No? All right. Matthias, where can people find you? And I'm, again, the one who has to follow that up. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> people can find me on Twitter at Matzekult, M-A-T-Z-E-K-U-L-T. And uh, remember, people, your vote matters. So if you have the opportunity, go out and vote.
Go out and vote for sure. And don't Google what is the EU after you voted. Please do it before. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm not Patrick on Twitter, not Patrick on Facebook. Uh, you can find this show and the show about video games at Frenchspin.com. And uh, before we leave, I also want to mention that uh, we got a, an award from the Podcast Awards uh, ceremony, which is a well-known uh, thing in the uh in the, the podcasting world. And uh, I want to really thank from the bottom of my heart, the entire uh, a Diamond Club group who organized basically the voting campaign and who went and made uh, all of our friends win those awards. It was absolutely within the rules. And it's, it's undeniable that these people are the ones who care the most about that freaking show. Um, so thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I, I think in this instance, we will all agree that the people who deserved to win this vote did win. So thank you everyone for doing that. And uh, we'll be back likely in July with another show, if not in, uh, in August. But uh, we'll see you uh, no matter what very soon. Thanks everyone. Bye.